June 28th, 1969. A good year. We went to the moon that year. Oh, we did. It, like we? it we were yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am the moon. <laughs> oh, awkward. This is awkward. <laughs> I'm actually Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. Good night. Sweet dreams. Welcome to the Insomnia Report, episode 38. Education, classes in session. Here we go. Ready? I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. And we are the two friends and roommates that like to talk about the things that keep us up at night. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you have listened before, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for listening. We got a special episode for you today because the day it airs, it's Elizabeth's birthday. Ah! Thanks for being born. You're welcome. If you're wondering why the fireworks go off on the 4th, it's not because of America. It's for Elizabeth. So just keep that in <laughs> mind. <laughs> so uh. I will go ahead and light the candle. Wait, do you want to? Because it's your birthday. I'm not good with matches, okay, but no, I no, can no. try. If, if you want to try. Let me try. You can try. Happy birthday. I can't guarantee anything. Okay. Matches I've, freak me out, but these are really long, so. Yeah. I mean, I believe in you. <clears throat> All right. need to shuffle around here a little bit. Let's see. What color are you going to get? You're doing so well. You're doing so <laughs> well you. for your first time. Oh, it's pink. Oh. All right. It's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a gender reveal. Oh, God. Uh-uh. If I ever have children, I'm never doing a gender reveal. No. I might have cake, and that's it, but it's for me because of my pregnancy, like, cravings. (laughs) Oh, the cake's only for me. (laughs) It's just for me. All of you have to watch me. It's pink, okay? The frosting's (laughs) pink. (laughs) All right, let's see if I can do this. I believe I'm scared. You can do it. (gasps) She's doing it. She's doing it. Don't be afraid. You got it. You got it. Uh, Oh, I'm breaking the match in half. (laughs) Okay, okay. Take Should I try one more? You can time. try again. Yeah. Go for it. Here, I can. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to okay. I'm gonna try one more time with a different match. Okay. okay. It's okay. It's okay. It, you're having twins. <laughs> I'm like, you're having twins. I'm almost 26 years old and I like cannot light a match. <laughs> Granted, I've never really had two before. It's okay. They're just. Okay. 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 That one's blue. So it's blue. It's okay. the blue match. So she's having <laughs> twins, and we have a boy and a, a boy girl. And a girl. Oh, I did it! I'm so proud of oh, you. I just yelled into the mic. Oops. Happy birthday! <laughs> you blew out the candle. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got it. You got to take it out before you blow it out. You got to take. Wait, let me try one more time. Let me try one more time. You got to so take sorry. out the can- match before you blow out the match. <laughs> Happy Friday, folks. Okay. okay. She's having triplets. <laughs> I'm having triplets. This one's yellow. Okay, so it's a, um, it's a dog. It's so a yellow lab. There we go. I got it. You I have just... a cute little family. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Here we go. Okay, go, go, go. I got it. Got I lit it. the you match. Got you got it. Now I'm lighting the candle. Okay, okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. 
There. Okay. Oh, I did she it. She did it, guys. She did it. <laughs> oh, Jesus oh, Christ. God. Oh, that was stressful. Okay, we're good. You never have to do that again if you don't want to. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well, practice makes perfect, right? No, I won't. I won't well, you that. did it three times. I won't waste okay. the matches. Like it's okay. okay. You know how many matches I have? I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of matches. Oh, I appreciate you oh, and your matches. That was, okay. that was great. Okay, I'm the proud of you. Lit. The candles lit. The candles lit, and so are we. We're so not. Are we. We're but, not lit. Um, anyway, we're drinking water. <laughs> yes, we are. What has kept you up? Um, mm, I don't know. I've been trying to like make plans for my birthday with my family, and I don't like making plans. Oh, what did you so decide to do? I'm just gonna hang out in the suburbs. Okay, nice. But um, I've been staying really. I've been staying up really late on TikTok. Oh, no. See, that's why I won't do more of that. <laughs> I really want to. You and Mitch have me, like, tempted. I'm like, don't you tempt me, Satan. Like, I cannot. Yeah. yeah. It's um, – I spent last night, like, a good half hour going through two accounts. Okay. One was this random woman. I don't know who she is or where she lives. Okay. But you stopped she, her entire TikTok. Well, yes, because – one of hers came up on my like feed or whatever because the algorithm knows that I love cats. Oh, okay. And she had, uh, she rescued a stray cat named Garfield. Oh. Um, and well, the video was Garfield leading her in the rain to her babies <gasps> that she just had. And then she like put them all in a basket and brought them inside. And then she had like progress videos for oh. the kittens. And then I found this other account, and it's a shelter, animal shelter in Ohio, and they have these videos where when the dog is, like, on hold for adoption, the guy brings over, like, this orange card that says, like, on hold, and he brings it over to the cage, and he's like, look what I got. It's your turn. And the dog is, like, so happy, and they're wagging their tails, and then there's always a follow-up one where the family comes and... He, like, puts the leash on the dog in the cage. He's like, are you ready to go home? Aww. And the dog is so excited. And then he brings him out to the parking lot to the, his new, their new family. Aww. And everyone's so happy. That's so cute. So, that yeah, that's what I did. Last that that is wholesome. <laughs> that is a... So, yeah. This has been a PSA to uh, adopt, don't shop, and yes. uh, stay near your pets. Thank you. Yes. That's it for today. <laughs> what about you? What's kept you up? Um, mine is not as wholesome, um, because last night when I was doing my research, I see like something out of the corner of my eye and oh, then no. I like, I was like, I think it's just cause I'm like tired or whatever. Cause it was, I don't know, like 2am and then a spider lands on my glasses and it's like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, no. what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I grabbed my bag from Dunkin' Donuts that I had from earlier that day and I like smashed it on my glasses. And I was like, I didn't like, I didn't know what else to do, but I'm like, no, oh I was, well, first of all, I'm glad I was wearing my glasses because God forbid that should have gone <gasps> in my eye. Oh my God. Second of all, I was just strangely calm i think it's because it was it was like 2 a.m and i didn't want to start screaming because i didn't want the police to come and me just be like hi sorry yes it was a spider and sorry i am on the episode hoarders right now because my room is atrocious so that was stressful what kind of spider was that it was just like a regular small small thing like it wasn't anything I don't know. It was like pale, like one of those pale spiders. Oh, yeah, like you know? the yellow sort of-ish yeah. like house spiders. It was just like a house spider, but I was just oh like, my God. things will, I don't know. And then I like saw it on my glasses and I like 
kind of looked at it and it looked at me and I was like spider and it goes Margo and then I'm like mm, you gotta die <laughs> oh it, it talked to you yeah that's wow. how you know it's time for bed <laughs> well I mean I it didn't but you. I was just like oh <laughs> I don't know what I would have done in that situation so I think I was congrats. just too tired to do anything and I was just like I, yeah. I don't want to like shake it off because I didn't want it to land on me or like right. fall into my bed so I just like right. looked around and I'm like Okay, my Dunkin' Donuts bag from my muffin <laughs> was next to me, so I just like smushed it on my glasses, and then I was oh. just like, "I'm going to bed now." <laughs> but all night I felt paranoid. I felt like crawling. I was just oh, like felt that. gross. I'm like, I'm sure there isn't like another spider or whatever, but I was just like, Ugh. yeah, no. So it was not, not a cool. sound sleep. It was not fun. Oh. So today we're gonna meet up with one of our friends. Oh. His name is Carson. Carson. Carson's really excited to show you around his home on campus. His room is small, but it has everything you need. There's the standard twin bed. There's a desk, books, cork board filled with photos of his family. He has a little wardrobe and an ensuite private bathroom with a stand-up shower and a toilet. He's got his TV and DVDs. And then down the hall, there's a community laundry room. There's a kitchen where you can cook, um, not just like a mini fridge and a microwave. There's a common area with board games. One of the people there are making a cake for someone's birthday. And then across campus, there's, you know, the classic education setup with the classrooms and office administration. And then uh, there's another building that's a rec center for activities like painting, ceramics, music, volleyball, what have you. You're giving me college nostalgia. I know, right? Aww. Oh, so cute. The campus has really tall trees. There's modern wood floors, uh, cork, glass windows. It overlooks a blueberry forest. There's tall, thin pines and farmland surrounding it. So... Really nice place. This is in Norway, and Carson is actually an inmate at Halden Prison, which is one of Norway's maximum security centers, and he is there for committing a murder. Oh my gosh. So in 2011, Halden was built in an attempt to change their correctional system and have a humane approach on correctional facilities. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. In Halden Maximum Security Prison, it is south of Oslo on the border of Sweden. And in Norway, the crime rate is there are 60 inmates per 100,000 people, whereas in the U.S. it's about 700 per <laughs> 100,000. Oh now, God. mind you, I mean, Norway is a lot smaller than yeah. the U.S., but... But the That's US for cap like the, mm, yeah yeah we still have a quarter of the world's prison population exactly so their approach for their prison and system is four core values so those are normality humanity dynamic security and reintegration with normality they give you a community kitchen. Uh, you are able to cook for yourselves. Inmates have keys to their own bedrooms. Guards do not have keys. Wow. They, in the kitchens, there are actual, like, knives 
like on the magnetic strip for like people to chop food or whatever. And in one of the videos I watched with a documentary, one of the men are like, oh, so why are you, the interviewer was like, why are you here? And he's like, oh, yeah, I committed murder. And he's like, should I be concerned that there's a lot of knives behind you? And he goes, no, those are for cooking. It's not a weapon. (laughs) Like it was so like, oh, my God, idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Like you can take painting classes. You could take a five-star cooking class. They try to have it be as much of a normal life as possible. And their philosophy is we punish them by taking them away from their freedom. But that doesn't mean you should take away their life. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> it's like goosebumps. It's I was like, like, oh, my God. God. <laughs> Norway. Oh. So the idea here is to try to get them to be a better citizen. So they get to wear their own street clothes. Um, so that they have wardrobes. They can wear things. When they first come into prison, they are given, I guess, kind of like a scrub uniform just mm-hmm. so they can have their clothes checked for anything but then they get it back within like a week or so and then they get their own clothes um like even in college dorms there typically weren't en suites in the dorms so it's let alone tvs in a prison so they want you to reduce the feeling of being in prison um and there's even stores a store on site where you can pick up your own items for humanity, um, you know, they have photos of their family and the guards are really personable. So they are kind. They like to speak to them as equals and they speak to them as if they are a human being. Being, not being. I wrote bean like a like a lima bean. <laughs> I am a human <laughs> being. <a> human bean. <laughs> One of the prison guards said, it is not my job to judge the person for why they are here It's as simple as that. We can create walls between us, but that doesn't help anything. We need to communicate and we need to interact. Wow. If there's no respect or dignity, it's impossible to talk about their future to build rapport if it's not there. There must be a foundation for the trust to be there, which I think is amazing. Um, We didn't even have this good of a system with our, like, school counselors in high school. Yeah. When it comes to the dynamic system, when the inmate comes into prison, if they're still in handcuffs, a guard will come in and welcome them and shake their hand and say, welcome to Halden. Oh, my God. Excuse me? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) There's an orientation video with, you know, the big prison gate opening, and then behind the gate, there's a guard playing a saxophone. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. That sounds like an I, SNL skit. That, that's what I said. <laughs> and then all the guards bind together and they start to sing We Are the World. I will show you. <laughs> Wait, you're not kidding? I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay. I'm so excited. They do this for every new prisoner? Oh, so this is for the documentary or something? Well, yeah, but like this was before the documentary. This is from a documentary, yeah. 
So, like, they don't sing to everyone who comes in, right? Well, they play this video. They don't... Oh, they play the video. Okay. Yeah. I thought... No. There was a group of guards for no. every person, just like... No. I mean, there's a guard that will shake their hand. Okay. They play this video. And these are, like, the actual prisoner guards. They're really good singers. And they're probably lip-syncing. They're probably lip-syncing. That's, like, so far from anything, Any, anything in here. the U.S. Like, we're not even that far into it yet. And I'm just like... <laughs> right? Wow. Okay. I'm excited. Uh, but, yeah, so it's an orientation video. That, but you are basically assigned a guard, and there's typically one guard for every two to three inmates. And the idea is they're kind of like your counselor to check in on you and to check your progress and to really build kind of a, I don't want to say mentorship, but at least some sort of like guidance for their time Mm -hmm. there. They are given an inmate ID that has funds on it for, you know, the market there. And it's kind of like the equivalent to a student ID card for the food court. Um. A nurse will come in and check on inmates when they first arrive to make sure they're okay, especially within the first few weeks and months if this is your first time in prison. A normal interpersonal relationship with staff and inmates is required. So there's a contact officer, which is one primary officer, and then each officer has one to three inmates, and the guard is also a social worker for them. So they figure out a plan on what they want to do when they get out because the philosophy on top of all that is when you think about you know the rehabilitation aspect of it you think about what you want your neighbor to be Mm -hmm. you know and if they are someone that committed a crime what are their opportunities going to look like and how can they be the best possible neighbor like a good neighbor state firm is there Mm -hmm. Going to be my neighbor. neighbor. Basically. <laughs> the Mr. Rogers prison. It's basically like Mr. Hey. Yeah. I know you murdered someone in Brazil, but <laughs> now a big thing here is in Norway, to become an officer, you need a two year full time education in this specifically. But f- for correctional officers in the United States, it only takes a couple of weeks. Mm. To get, like, certified. Like, you don't even need a criminal justice background. You just need to do training on how to, like, detain and and how Mm. to handle the situations. Yeah. But in Norway, part of the course, this two-year program, is you take courses in ethics, psychology, communication, criminology, uh, and human rights. How you treat people is respectfully, and further, they tell the officers when they are in their training school, they they press on to them, if you treat people badly, it's a reflection of yourself. So you need to treat inmates humanely, and that's something that you should be doing for yourselves, not just for the inmates, because if you treat them like crap, you're kind of a crap human. Yeah. The theory here there, uh, according to the New York Times, is if officers are taught to be harsh, condescending, suspicious, it will ripple outwards into their lives. It will affect their self-image, their families, and even Norway as a whole. 
So that is not Norwegian. That is. Wow. So, I mean, yes, they do have to take self-defense and everything just in case something does happen, but it's not needed. Like the guards don't even carry guns. <laughs> they don't they don't have guns. They there's no tower with, you know, snipers or oh, anything. Yeah. There's no like barbed wire. There's there's nothing. It's just like Oh my god. When the documentary when our friend Carson is showing us like the common room, there's inmates and a guard playing Xbox on a couch together. Like there's two inmates and then there's a guy like in his officer uniform just like hanging out. Oh my god. It's like I'm sorry, what? Like it It's just unheard of. That is so cool i know (laughs) and actually most of a a lot of the guards there are women and that was asked um by one of the interviewers like do you feel safe and she goes yeah why is that even a question of course i do this is a maximum security prison it's it's not Mm -hmm. just like oh you're a bad here's a slap on the wrist these people are murderers they are drug dealers they have committed assault they've committed like actual crime like rape Mm -hmm. but everything grand theft you know it's it's not just a a little juvenile thing this Mm -hmm. is this is the big stuff so um interaction is expected if there is an instance where someone isn't you know behaving well they have underground systems to where they can like take people so it doesn't kind of cause a scene Mm -hmm. because you see that a lot in in prison shows or documentaries when you watch like the united states like it takes a million people to take someone down so they just like kind of take them away from everyone and and have them like sit and reflect and it even said that you know if two people are butting heads they take them to a room and they have them meditate and they won't let them leave until they shake hands and forgive each other what what planet is this on norway (laughs) What if someone's like really violent, like a serial killer? So uh, maybe you'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. But so there are three different cell blocks, quote unquote. But like I said, it, it's built to look like a campus and mm-hmm. feel like a campus. So there's um, Unit A, which is a lot smaller, and that is where kind of the more intense people are, and they're more closely monitored, but that's still kind of mm-hmm. open and. Then cells B and C are kind of different, kind of based on what it is. So I think C is for like people that had more of addiction problems. So they Mm. kind of have more of a group therapy approach to it. So Mm. it's not like you have a drug addict and a uh, someone that has more of a mental illness with someone who's violent, like all interacting. They kind of separate it based on the needs. Wow. Which is so smart. Um, Hell yeah, it is. And in group A, the the one that's more confined, they don't have the community kitchen. Oh, they don't get the knives. So they don't get the knives. Okay. As far as reintegration goes, officers need to know the steps for the system and how they can get there. So like I mentioned earlier, the officers and the inmates kind of have this mentorship program or kind of like a counselor. So what do you want your life to look like when you're out of jail? Uh, what are your passions? What do you want to work on while you're here? And they want to build in the inmates that there's still hope and there's still opportunities for a good life after they get out. It's not, you know, just because you made a bad decision, that doesn't mean you're necessarily bad and it doesn't mean the rest of your life can be bad and this is where you can go and, and change it. Uh, because of this, 
there are almost no reoffenders. The chances of someone, once they get out of jail, within three years, it's about 20%, mm-hmm. whereas three years in the U.S. is 60% oh, of someone wow. getting re-arrested. What if someone gets a life sentence? So in Norway, there are no life sentences. Really? There are no life sentences. There's no death penalty. The okay. maximum sentence is 21 years, but it can be increased based on behavior or based on if they still think they're a threat, and it can be increased up to five years at a time. Okay. So in 2011, this will probably be an episode for another day, but the biggest attack in Europe happened in Norway um, since World War II. And the man who committed these crimes was placed in 21 years of prison. And he was basically put into, like, Unit A, but he got, like, three rooms to himself so he wouldn't, like, interact with anyone. And there was actually, like, a lawsuit that he put on Norway for saying that solitary confinement was inhumane and he, like, won that lawsuit. Oh, my gosh. So he he was given 21 years, and a lot of people were mad about it. Uh Uh-huh. But at the same time, it was really fascinating because one of the parents of a a boy that died during this incident was being interviewed, and the interviewer was from America, and he said, aren't you mad at this person? And he goes, of course I'm mad. And he goes, aren't you mad that he only had 21 years and he goes it's not up to me like i have to trust in the justice system and i know that he will get what is needed and the interviewer was shocked he's like what do you what do you mean you trust the justice system and he goes yes i can be mad at him but i need to know that like the laws will be carried out appropriately and it was as simple as that he was like getting like oh my god why are you asking this and then the interviewer goes do you want this man dead and he goes no and then he goes, if you could kill this man, would you? Because he took your son. And he goes, no, no, like I would not, like absolutely not. And he goes, but he killed your son. And he goes, yes, but he needs to learn from that. <laughs> this is like so foreign. I Exactly. Oh, well, obviously. Well, right. But no, but I like the concept of just people being so like forgiving yeah. and just so like. This is not for me to decide. This is like the psychology of like understanding people need help. And then so the man that made the cake earlier when we first met Carson. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was a murderer and he was actually taken to cell A because he was in cell B because they determined that he needed to like get more mental health. And then he was eventually taken to a mental health like clinic because Mm -hmm. they needed to work on his mental health more so they really like evaluate and appreciate it rather than like oh you're misbehaving you're gonna spend a month in the hole like it's like no there's there's an issue underlining right what's going on and we need to address that before they can take steps to be better oh my god and it it works so well like i just i can't oh my god (laughs) so i mean like i said there are almost no reoffenders You have a routine, so while you can have, like, open roam, like, during the weekends or off hours, you do have a work week, and you do have a job and routine, so you wake up, you have breakfast, you'll go to a class, and then you'll go work for a couple hours, and then you have, like, 
lunch, you have rec time, you have whatever, you can go to church on Sundays. So you do have a routine. It's not just like willy nilly, I'm going to play Xbox for 12 years. Like, Mm -hmm. no. I have a question. Yes. Do they get paid for their jobs? Mm -hmm. Do you know how much they get paid? I don't know, but they actually, it's not like in the US where you work on things for, it's like, Mm -hmm. if you are working on a car, you are working on that car. Or you are getting the skills to become a mechanic and not just like, oh, I worked in a shop, so maybe I can. It's like, no, we're going to train you how to do this so you can have a career outside of this. There's classes in graphic design and, you know, some of them even get commissioned by like the city hall in the town next over. It's like, oh, can you make this for us? Or it's wild. And um, you can take classes in restaurant prep. There's a class on like how to make five course, five star meals um, for restaurants. There's even a separate house for overnight visitors or if you have weekends off, your family can come visit you. They have a recording studio called Criminal Records, which is such a good name oh my for God. a record company. That's so clever. But they actually can make records, which is why Norwegian metal is like so intense because <laughs> oh they're all God. by criminals. <laughs> but they have all these things that are kind of based on what you do. And when you work, that is your job there. It's all about relationships and trust. Sure, they have cameras and locks, but like I said, there are no weapons. A lot of the guards are women. And then, as I mentioned, only 20% of criminals reoffend after three years. But in the United States, the number is 68%. Oh, my God. To your point, Norway does not have a death penalty or life sentence. One inmate said, you know, when I had my life before here, like I thought like a criminal, like that was my instinct. I didn't care. I would do things that were reckless. But after being here, it really evaluated what I was doing. And essentially he said, don't treat us like animals. Like we're not animals. That is not how you're going to get us to respond. Even the architecture is based on ways to make it feel more normal. And as I mentioned, it's a campus design. So The housing area and the education vegetation areas are separate. So you actually have to, you know, leave your housing area to go walk across campus to get to your classes or to get to your job or to get to the store. So you actually have to leave and see things. There are big windows. There are no bars. Uh, They say the windows are so you can actually see like the passage of time. So it's not like you're just looking at these walls your whole life. Wow. Like I said, there's really tall trees and and greenery and they're you know they get to go view and be with nature and it's supposed to be an anti-authoritarian feel instead of designing the prison to have very few guards watching over more so you know if you have a giant mess hall or or dinner where you have a hundred inmates and like two guards and then a fight breaks out like in all the movies there are maybe like two officers and six inmates like in an area or or Mm -hmm. something so they actually prefer direct contact and interaction and building that relationship which results in less violence because there is more trust they say that inmates don't get into fights you know there are actual knives hanging out in the kitchen and there are libraries that are nice as the ones that were at our high school so the thing about this is that it is expensive 
you know, this this isn't cheap. It is mm-hmm. about $93,000 to have each prisoner. But in the United States, it's about $31,000 per prisoner. Mm. But when you think of how many more inmates we have, if if we were to still pay as much as Norway does for the amount of prisoners we have, we would still have like $45 billion left over mm. <laughs> with how much we like let that sink in like i don't know what else to uh, oh my god a few things about why this works so well is i mean norway has smaller crime to begin with so it's a little bit easier to build this and nordic and scandinavian countries in general are some of the happiest people in the world yet if you commit a crime they still believe you know they need to be punished but the goal is to get them to return to society and, like I said, who do you want to be your neighbor? It's it's not like, okay, you messed up, so you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. It's like, okay, like, there's obviously something going on here, and it needs to be tackled. One guard said, the thing is, when you rehabilitate inmates, you are essentially saving other people, because if you have someone and they spend time in jail and they didn't learn from it, chances are they're going to reoffend. So if, you know, someone is trying to get money and, you know, they didn't work on it having a job or they go back to their old ways, they may rob or murder or attack someone else. They may commit something else. So you're essentially saving another victim too. You're not just saving yourself. You're not just saving the inmate from having a better life, but you're mm-hmm essentially given back to society yeah additionally that is a common thing in norway there are also prisons in sweden and a lot of like nordic countries like denmark and finland uh there's a sweden prison that has a system similar to this and they handle prison as an absolute last resort so they have other methods of dealing with crime they think when someone commits a crime it's the effect of an unaddressed or underlying psychological problem that needs to be fixed so so you know if they commit a crime first they're going to go to counseling and they're going to do community service and if things still continue then the counseling continues or they'll be on house arrest and if it's deemed that things are still not going well then they will go to jail and where they need more attention. So Sweden takes this as an absolute last resort. Sweden has a similar rehabilitation model, and within 10 years, between 2009 and 2019, the prison population went down from 5,722 to 4,500. Wow. And the budget or crowding issues are down um, with prisons closing because there's really no need. So the documentaries I watched were really interesting. Some of them were like through Now This. Some of them were through Vox. There's one documentary called uh, The Most Dangerous Prisons in the World. There's one that was called Who Will We Invade Next? And it's this guy that goes around the world and like talks about different systems and, and everything. That one was pretty good. But in contrast, the U.S. system oh, no. pretty broken. This is probably like a really long episode for another day, but just to kind of compare the two, 
In the USA, we are 5% of the world's population, but we hold 25% of all the world's prisoners. So compared to Norway, where incarcerated people are 60 per 100,000, in the U.S., it is almost 700. And in the country as a whole, we have about 2.2 million people in jail or prison, which is the same size as the city of Houston, which is the fourth largest city in America. Mm-hmm. And about 4.7 million of those people are on parole. No. In addition to that, there are 4.7 million people on parole oh my for God. probation, which is 3% of the U.S. population. Wow. In comparison as well, when you are working at a U.S. prison, you are not learning a trade. You are essentially considered slave wages. So you are essentially being a plumber or a carpenter, an electrician, but you are not training someone for a job on the outside. You do not get any training or education. And additionally, grants are being pulled to allow inmates to educate themselves. So there are actually people in the Norwegian prisons that are, you know, studying to become, studying politics, and then they might become like a politician. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, you're, you're not learning anything. You're just doing this work. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., about one in a hundred adults are behind bars. And this kind of kicked off when Nixon in 1971 made the claim that America is on a war on drugs, saying drugs are public enemy number one. in the 1970s blacks were arrested two times as much as white people and by 2010 blacks were arrested five times more than whites what happened in 1980 while the war on drugs created higher punishment for any sort of drugs in the hopes that it would make people afraid to commit crimes they would crack down on crime. They would create stricter and narrower guidelines for arresting people. And for certain things, there would be minimum sentences. So if you had a certain amount of crack or coke or I don't know, like whatever, it's like, oh, minimum five years. And they could extend it for really like no reason or they would just, you know, all right, bye. Between 1980 and 1994, the cost of operating a state and federal prison went from 3.1 million to 17.6 million. Wow. Mental health services were cut down while the crackdown policies were increased. So the police were actually the ones that were left to deal with these. So instead of having more mental health resources, the cops had to deal with more things including crime, including people dealing with a mental crisis. So they mm-hmm. essentially had to do more. So they might ha- – I'm speculating, but they might have resulted in more arrests because mm-hmm. they, peop- they were expected to help people when the social services were cut. I've seen police threaten homeless people yep. with arrests. Yep. It's like today. that's not – is that a solution? Like, I mean, <laughs> if I ever become homeless, I'm going to go to Norway and steal a banana and just be like, all right. Right. <laughs> lock, lock me up. Oh, my. It's it's sick. It's It makes me oh so sad. God. It breaks my heart. But exactly. It's like you're not yeah. going to offer them other resources. Like you're just going to jump to that. Yeah. And 
There are 10 times more mentally ill people in prison than in mental health centers. 10 times more mentally ill people in a jail or a prison than an actual mental health center. That makes me want to cry. Yeah. Sentences were naturally focused more so on immigrants, minorities, and people in poverty because of policies and sentences that were kind of guidelines or targeting towards those kind. Mm. If you've never seen 13th, watch it. Watch it. So the thing is how this also sort of ramped up is because of private prisons. (laughs) Because they make more money when there are more prisons. So in comparison to Norway, where you have your own little, like, studio apartment, essentially, there are maybe four inmates to a cell in U.S. prisons, which can, in turn, increase prisoner or prisoner-on-prisoner violence. Mm -hmm. There's also the bail system, which is messed up because if you get arrested, you, you have the option to pay your bill to return home while you wait trial. Um, And then, you know, if you pay your bail, you get to go to court and then, you know, your bail is kind of like a deposit that you get returned. But if you can't afford your bail, you go to jail, which is why white collar crime is always brushed aside because they can afford their bail. Whereas, you know, if someone has a a certain amount of, you know, weed on them and they have a bail of $5,000, they can't pay that. Their family can't pay right. that. So they go to jail while they wait their trial instead of just sitting at home while you wait. So this is obviously discriminatory to poor people. Um, if you can't sign a loan or have enough assets to, you know, get a loan for your bail uh, or pay for it, then, you know, creditors could deny you. So you'll go to jail. So that's why the rich have it easy with their bails or celebrities. Mm. You know, they don't really spend time. So Khalif Browder, he was from the Bronx, New York. He was held at Rikers Island for stealing a backpack without trial. And he could not afford his bail. His family could not. So he was sent there where he was in solitary confinement for two years. And he ended up taking his own life. Oh, my God. So there are two main private prisons. One of them is called Core Civic, and the other is called Geo Group. According to CNBC, the private prison model was built to manage and charge a daily fee for each bed filled, and that was how they could secure government contracts. Core Civic charged $32.17 per inmate in 1987, but it increased 33% in 1997 to $42.72. So when you think about it, if you get paid more for having more inmates, you're going to start arresting more people. So the company costs only grew 8% during that 10-year period, but the company's revenue grew 27 times. I hate capitalism. I hate it. (laughs) Two-thirds of the revenue comes from correction and detention contracts and ICE contracts as well. Uh, ICE contracts are about one-fifth of that revenue. Uh, Are those like detention centers? On the border, yeah. Oh, okay. 
which is 7% of the revenue that comes from the federal system, which is still, you know, while it is only 7% of revenue uh, that the United States gets, like that's billions of dollars every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like someone gets rich by having more people locked up. So there might be more temptation to get people in jail. I don't know. But like, isn't the goal of prisons is to have less crime so you have less more criminals but yeah we have more yeah it's growing america explain i'd like to know (laughs) i'd like to know explain and and another fun fact i'll sprinkle geo and core civic each donated two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to trump's presidential campaign of course they did when trump was elected The stocks for both companies skyrocketed the day after the election. I hate him. Now, there's this system that allows these companies to avoid income tax, (laughs) but they are required to pass 90% of taxable income to investors as dividends. So while they have smaller cash on hand, they still need short-term borrowing. So in 2016... Geo had $1.6 billion in debt, and CoreCivic had $1.5 billion. But six major banks still financed it, even though they were so much in debt. So yeah. they profit through interest rates and fees, so that's why the banks finance it. Mm-hmm. But in March of 2019, J.P. Morgan said that they would withdraw, and then seven banks followed suit. When that happened... The stocks reduced 30%. Additional rates have been unaffected, though. And then more than half of prisoners in prisons right now are there for drug-related crimes, even though the legalization of marijuana is starting to become, you know, more widespread. So I think they should let those nonviolent offenders out Mm -hmm. because it's really freaking annoying that we have two dispensaries on our street mm-hmm. and so many people are arrested for weed. Well, how else would the people running the prisons make money if no one was in prison? <laughs> so that's what keeps me up. That is what keeps me up. I just, I, this is a lot of, I want it to work so bad because I am mm-hmm. so for like the mental health, but I don't know if people will value it or will believe in it enough or it's just, I don't know. It makes me sick that it it works mm-hmm. and there's it shows that it works and we're we're not going to because Norway used to have a prison system like the United States mm-hmm. and they decided to kind of flip it on its side. Wow. Anyway, I'm going to show you. So that was um Carson's cell. Oh yeah, that looks like my dorm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then there's another small maximum security prison called Bastoy. I think. And it literally looks like a college campus. That's a prison. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll put the different documentaries in the description. Some of them are just short, like 10-minute YouTube clips. Some of them are Mm -hmm. a couple hours or so. But it's really interesting because all the interviewers that are from, you know, different countries are like, oh, like, so what are you here for? And it's like, oh, yeah, murder. It's like, what? 
it blows my mind. Like we need to treat people like humans. It just it makes me so mad. It's all it's mm-hmm. all so corrupt. It's all just for money, and it's we're yeah. not doing anything to help people. And it's just an endless cycle. And then uh, anyway, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. But <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends about oh, like what am I gonna talk about? And we were on the topic of traveling. And my friend was actually going to Japan for a business trip. And when they had to like fill out the custom forms before they land or whatever, there was something that said like, you are not bringing any illegal substances, including like cocaine, meth or Adderall. And he goes, wait a minute, I have Adderall. Adderall is extremely illegal in Japan. Really? So he like had a flag down the flight attendant. He's like, what do I do? Like, I didn't know. And she's like, this makes me uncomfortable. Like, you need to throw it away. And like, he could not like go he had to throw it away before he like got off the plane. Oh my god. And the reason why Adderall is illegal was because the the medicine, the active ingredient was used by the Japanese military in World War II and all stimulants were banned by the government in 1951 after they realized it was really uh, addictive. So Adderall is illegal wow, there. Wow, interesting. There's other ADHD medicine, but Adderall specifically has methamphetamine in it. So mm-hmm. they're like, no, no, none of that. So you have to get like a different prescription for ADHD. But anyway, the thing though is like every single inmate there just seems so sweet. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, holy shit, they murdered someone. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine. Like. We are the world. I just... <laughs> Like I've heard I've heard people say, Oh, you know, in in Scandinavia or in the Nordic countries, whatever, like they treat their criminals like like, you know, they pay so much money, it's so expensive, like they they treat their criminals like VIPs, blah blah blah. And while I don't agree with that mindset, like I understand where it comes from because I think it's so ingrained in the mm-hmm. American psyche to be like, This is what prison is. Right. Where you have to it's like, yeah, just awful. Throw them in cages. Like, yeah. And, and like the American prison system is designed to like, you know, put away certain kinds of people. Right. And and that's the other thing too that I didn't mention, but there's more people in a cell. They they don't have like free time. They spend all day in a cell and then they get to eat for like an hour. And if you're bad, you get put into confinement and like mm-hmm. that's it. Like the the problem's not addressed or yeah. you know, there's there's no that's why the um design for Harlan was so intentional because it had like natural elements. It had wood, it had cork, it had glass. You had like you could actually see like the seasons change. Whereas, you know, prisons here it's all like concrete, cold bricks mm-hmm. and it's it, it's dark and damp poorly maintained and you maybe have like cot and mm-hmm. everyone has to see you shit i don't know like it's yeah anyway it's exactly yeah oh my god i don't know like you said it makes me so sad because our prison system kills people it literally kills like, literally people. kills people or like handcuffs pregnant women while they're giving birth you know yeah and it's like it doesn't have to be that way or like they just embarrass or humiliate or like they just beat them senselessly and it's like to see the cops interacting with the inmates playing like xbox and like having knives around and just Mm -hmm. being like yeah we're having a conversation we're talking about our days like they journal they 
We talk yeah. about their goals. We talk about how they're feeling like they meditate. You know, if if two inmates are having a, a conflict, they go meditate and then they have to like shake hands before. Mm-hmm. Like what? Imagine treating prisoners like human beings. But then the other thing too is when convicted of a felony here, you can't vote, you can't get a job, you mm-hmm. can't, you know, become an educator, like you can't do yeah. anything. They give you like a bus ticket and drop you off somewhere when you leave. It's exactly. Like and, nothing. you know, the reason for those laws was because they believed that people who were criminals were not intelligent enough to make big decisions, so they can't vote for who their Congress people are, so they can't vote for where mm. their tax money goes, so they can't put it back into the schools or to mental... It's mm. just, it's such an endless cycle to make the rich richer. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And to further white supremacy. hmm But if we were to, I think, try to change the U.S. prison system in that way, we'd have to completely overhaul the entire thing because, like, the prison system is inherently the opposite of that. We would have to do it gradually. We would have to just have, like, one success story and... Mm. It would not be like a we're going to flip everything, you know, mm-hmm. like because people in the South are, are not going to be okay with that because they want mm-hmm. guns. They want the death penalty. They want yeah. like, even here, not even the South. You right. Know. Yeah. No, you're right. <sighs> I don't oh know. My God. It just makes me so mad. I don't. It's not fair. It's no. it's just anyway. I get really fired I, up about the U.S. prison. I do too because it's not it's horrible. It's so it's, it's set up to just have people fail and and waste their life. There's yeah. there's no hope. They're they're not treated like a human. The second you're there, yeah. it's like everything's stripped away from you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah, that well, that'll keep you that's up. That's gonna sure. keep me up. Yeah, I'm gonna watch that documentary. Yep. Anyway, Thank you. you're welcome. It's it's definitely a thinker. It's it's um. Oh, God. Go vote. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. June just ended. It did. The other day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's July now. Thank you. <laughs> um, you're, you're my welcome. favorite little calendar. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> June was yesterday. Today is July. It's July. Tomorrow <laughs> will be July. <laughs> the day after that will also be july soon it will be august <laughs> in case you didn't know how that works okay um but i think we're both very tired yes it's midnight actually so happy birth no no oh. it's tomorrow <laughs> anyway june was pride month it was happy pride even though it's july it's okay um you can always be proud of yay. your pride yay. show your colors so I wanted to dive a little bit into that and talk about Pride Month and where that all came from because I didn't know. So wasn't it from a riot? A bunch of like trans hey. people. Okay, all right. Okay, June twenty eighth, nineteen sixty nine. It was a Saturday. <laughs> okay, in New York City. New York City. We're going to Greenwich Village in New York to christopher street is that like our boys town basically well it yeah at that time it was known as the main street of gay new york okay and there was a bar called the stonewall inn on christopher Uh, street okay and it was owned by the mafia hey which actually was not unusual for gay bars because gay bars weren't officially a thing because being homosexual behavior was illegal 
Oh, so the mafia were closeted. Well, I don't know about that. Oh. (laughs) But the mafia (laughs) thought they could make good money off of this bar because, like, people needed a place to go. You know, that is very entrepreneurial. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, like, they weren't very good at running bars um <laughs> they didn't know how to they're like what they do you want to- uh, how many olives <laughs> you want me to make you what drink shaken <laughs> what's a cosmopolitan <laughs> um screw your fruity drink <laughs> okay uh, yeah yeah so the mafia <laughs> and they wanted to like squeeze out every dollar they could so they watered down all the drinks yeah. like it was known that they did this um and also, there was no running water, like, to wash out the glasses, gross. which you can imagine is really gross. That's really unsanitary. And the toilets weren't clean, God. like, no running water. It sounds like U.S. prison. Um, <laughs> I know. No <laughs> fire exit either, so oh, it's oh a, a fire hazard. But, you know, what what wasn't at that time? <laughs> they learned. They got better. Maybe. I don't know. The mafia got better. (laughs) (laughs) Then bars. (laughs) Sanitation. Don't hunt us down, please. Gay people. They also demanded payoffs for protection as well. They would blackmail the wealthy visitors of the bars. Like, if they were like, oh, you don't want people to know that you're gay or, like, you're coming to this gay bar. Well, you have to pay us money. God, everything's all about money. I know. I just came here for like karaoke night. Like I, I know this doesn't mean anything. I, I hate it. Um, they also had to pay off the police once a week because they didn't have a liquor license. So, and they were obviously serving alcohol because it was a bar. Oh, I see. I don't know why, but I I was picturing this to be like a 1920s speakeasy where you had to like <laughs> knock on the door a certain amount of times yeah. and be like, okay. Well, I mean, kind, kind of, of yeah. because. It was still illegal actions going on. It was one of the only bars on the street where couples were allowed to slow dance. Oh. Because. um, Is slow dancing a crime? Yeah. So the police would arrest gay people like willy nilly for sexual deviancy. I see. And they could just like barge in places. And if you were displaying quote unquote homosexual behavior in public including dancing with someone of the same sex they could arrest you oh oh so slow dancing as a whole wasn't illegal or like allowed but slow dancing with another the person of the same sex yeah that was illegal gender? okay mm-hmm. i see i thought you meant like all slow dancing like, oh. really? like, <laughs> new york is weird. no fun no one's allowed to slow dance <laughs> you can only do disco and you're gonna <laughs> like it <laughs> no romance here <laughs> <laughs> okay what is this 1572 <laughs> uh, okay sorry thanks, john calvin <laughs> um yeah so greenwich village is i don't okay sorry i'm not super familiar with new york but it's really close to the west village i don't know if it's in the west village but it's next door too and that was sort of the lgbtq neighborhood where people felt safer and ha- felt like they kind of had a community there but Stonewall, the bar, like, it wasn't a very beloved bar, you know, because it sucked. Like, it was horrible. Right. But, yeah. and there were other gay bars in the area, but it was still a bar, you know. So, yeah. you know, people went there, and it was pretty crowded all the time. In late June 1969, the police decided today was the day to raid them again. Mm. And normally, they would tip off the bar owners or, like, the bartenders that oh. they were going to raid 
just i don't right. know to give them a warning and they would like flash the lights and then people would like leave and then afterwards they'd like come back and right. so it, it wasn't like it was like not great sure. because they were still arresting people but it wasn't like, like hostile or, or like a well i mean sure. it, it just like wasn't i guess a, a, as much of an inconvenience as it could have been i guess right they're like all right you gotta go right on your way so it was actually the friday before it was it was late it was like early before early morning hour so it was technically saturday just like right now it's technically saturday wait okay so we went out on friday night yes it's like 2 a.m it's like 2 a.m like actually like but like my clock said okay but your watch says it's saturday but i haven't gone to bed yet so to me it's still friday night right okay exactly just like right now (laughs) whoa so the police decided to raid stonewall but they so it was crowded. People were partying that night. It was the weekend, mm-hmm. you know. Let loose. But the police came with no warning this time. There were four undercover officers already in the bar that night. And so they just came. They barged in. They started arresting people and grabbing all the, all the alcohol they could since they didn't have a liquor license. Mm. And this took a while because there were lots of people and lots of alcohol they had to confiscate. Yeah. So... There was a crowd outside and it grew and grew and people like heard about this and like came over and were watching it and and seeing what was going on. Nine policemen entered the bar. They arrested the employees for selling alcohol without a license. They kind of were like beating people up, like a lot of the people in the bar. And there was a law in New York that said you could arrest anyone not wearing at least three articles of gender-appropriate clothing. What? I don't know what that means. So, like, if a man's wearing a skirt? Yeah. Okay. But, like, what is what are three articles of gender-appropriate clothing? Like, if I'm a woman, is that, like, I have to be wearing a skirt and, like, heels and, like, a bra? Like, what if I'm wearing pants? I don't know what that means. The fashion police, like, come on. You have other yeah, things to do. Like, that is the stupidest law. One of the stupidest laws I've ever heard. That That's just homophobic is what that is. Yes, it is. It is. And the police were being really, really rough with people, beating them up. Apparently, as they, they were taking this one drag queen and, like, putting her in their wagon and her heel hit this officer in the shoulder and he like freaked out and like started beating her up and then people started freaking out even more and there was a specific scuffle where a woman was handcuffed no one knows exactly who it was people say it was probably a woman named stormy delivery i thought you were gonna say daniel oh wow she's no, old she, she i don't think she was there um i don't think so i don't think so but Stormy was a black butch lesbian okay. who was this famous performer and she did a lot of cool stuff. But she, they think it's probably her. Some people say it wasn't. I don't know. But she was handcuffed and like dragged from the bar to the police wagon and she kept escaping from them and they kept having to catch her and they were like beating her up. Being really awful. Being awful to her. And apparently she was hit on the head with a baton. Oh, my God. And she was, like, bleeding. And 
people who were there and saw this recalled that she basically looked at the crowd and was like, why don't you guys do something? Right. And then when they put her in the wagon, the crowd was like, holy shit. Yeah, we should do something. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then they, they, that's when it became sort of like a, I don't a know, mess. a riot. I don't know if you'd call it a riot, but like a, well, yeah. Called the stone. Stone. Wall. Yeah, the stone wall. Right. <laughs> it but, might have become a riot. Yeah. 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 So. Um, <laughs> you know what? This would not have happened in Norway. <laughs> so a riot breaks the riot out. Breaks out. Apparently, the whole gathering started out pretty tame. People were dancing in the street at first, and there was a uh, there were multiple kick lines, like you know, like people doing the can can. Yeah. Um, like the rockets were there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they were chanting this chant that goes, we are the Stonewall girls. We wear our hair in curls. We don't wear underwear to show our pubic hair. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure there were, I don't know if it was like exclusively drag queens or like who was doing this, but I, I love that image. Mm-hmm. But then it started getting rowdy. People were throwing things like rocks and and stuff and maybe shoes. I don't know. Objects were thrown. Objects were thrown. There are lots of claims that a black trans woman named Marsha P. Johnson threw the first brick, which started the riot. However, um, she has said later that she didn't get there till like after it started. So it's probably not true. But we shouldn't discount the contributions of trans women of color in this movement as well, because they were really involved also in the Stonewall riot and part of the the movement. Eventually, the New York Tactical Police Force were called in who, like, deal with really intense stuff. When things escalate. Yeah, to help clear the streets. Someone set the bar on fire. (gasps) No. Well, it probably would have had one star on Yelp anyway. (laughs) The drinks are really watery, but, like, whatever. It was, yeah, it was kind of funny because I watched a few different, like, short documentaries with people who were at Stonewall, and they all said the same thing. The drinks were so watered down. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's the one thing they remembered about it. So, overall, there were some 400 people there. Yeah, the fire was extinguished eventually, and the crowd was dispersed, but for around five or so days afterwards, people kept coming back and, like, Mm. gathering there. Did anyone die? No. Good. As far as I know, no. So a little context, first of all, for this, we're going to go back in time. Okay. Just just a little bit. To the Druids. Um, not quite. Okay. Some say that the gay rights movement began in 1897 in Berlin. Oh. This guy named Magnus Hirschfeld started an organization called the Institute for Sexual Wissenschaft. Okay. Which is like the Institute for Sexology, I guess, or like the science of of sex sex, sexuality um he's really fascinating and deserves his own episode so just because i think it's interesting he was a doctor and sexologist in germany in the late 19th century and how do you study like then anyway he just he found a way yeah he found a way He, he strived to make people understand that homosexuality is a natural tendency that exists in all cultures maxwell uh, Magnus. Magnus. <laughs> same letter. Same letter. I'm so close. 
after he graduated from medical school, he went to Chicago hey. for the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893. Oh, yeah. Where they built like the museums and whatever. The World's Fair, yeah. Yeah. And he got involved in Chicago's gay subculture. Love that journey I for him. Like, I didn't know there that. was one, but like I didn't. I've never thought about it before. I haven't either. And he there, he realized that if there could be a gay subculture in Chicago, as well as one in Berlin, there must be similar ones all over the world, and thus homosexuality must be universal. It is. Yeah. Oh, I love. <laughs> but it. I just love that that happened in I, Chicago. I know. Like I didn't know that Look was at a it. thing. I didn't either. Oh. So yeah. proud to live here. I know. He also discovered that. So, as I said, he was a doctor, mm-hmm. and he discovered that his gay patients had a higher rate of suicide Aww. and suicidal tendencies than his heterosexual patients. And this was something that really stuck with him. And for the rest of his life, he tried to normalize homosexuality and queerness in German society what and around a the world. Progressive man. Like literally, like he also campaigned for legalizing abortion and stuff like that Jeez, he was like, like way ahead of his we time. let you down 120 years later we haven't done anything like yeah but his institute unfortunately was raided by the nazis no. and all of the books in the library were burned no and he fled to i think france and died there in the 30s i love him so yeah he was he's very interesting all right i need i need more <laughs> <laughs> yeah i will i'll <laughs> I'll do no pressure, no rush. Him. It's all good. <laughs> so the first documented U.S. gay rights organization was the one in Chicago hey. called the Society for Human Rights. Okay, it was established in 1924. Cool. Actually, yeah. So I don't know if if Magnus was involved with this organization because it was officially established like after he went there, but I think it grew out of the gay subculture in Chicago so anyway the founder was named Henry Gerber and he was inspired by Magnus Hirschfeld to create it it got a charter from the state of Illinois to be an official organization and it produced the first American publication for LGBTQ people called Friendship and Freedom I love it I it's so like it's it's so positive okay but it only existed for a few months because uh, after it was created, several of their members were arrested. Oh, unfortunately, all the good things come to an end. Yeah, there was another very early organization called the. I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. Matachine, 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 Matachine. It's Ma- <laughs> it's run by the mafia. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> they failed at the bars. They do not have their hands on this anymore. <laughs> No, no. The the Mattachine Society. And so in the 60s, like in 1966, before Stonewall, three years beforehand, they did something called a sip-in where they would go to your standard bar, tavern, whatever, mm-hmm. and openly declare their sexuality. I'm gay. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. They'd walk into, they'd sit down and be like, hello, I'm gay. I would like a beer. <laughs> I don't know if Can they I said it like that. that? <laughs> Hello, I am gay. I would like a beer. I don't think it had the same effect today. <laughs> It'd be like, what kind? <laughs> uh, okay. okay. 
Um, Is that your coming out story? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> so if if someone, like, kicked them out or turned them away, then they would sue Ooh. the bar. Okay. Then the Commission on Human Rights decided that gay individuals had the right to be served in bars. Yes. And so that actually helped reduce police raids for a while at Good. bars. <laughs> But, again, same-sex relationships were illegal in the 60s still, and bars focused towards the community were really, like, safe havens where people felt like they could be themselves and, you know, be with their friends and their partners and just feel like they're in a safe space. I love that. Essentially. So these were very important institutions in the LGBTQ plus community at the time, not only in New York, but all around the U.S. and presumably around the world. So one one like other weird thing that they did to try to make people stop going to these bars was that in New York, at least, was the New York State Liquor Authority shut down bars that served alcohol to known or suspected LGBT people, saying that gathering them together was disorderly. Um, it's a lot of fun. Like, they can, <laughs> sc- they can piss off. So, essentially, it was illegal to serve alcohol to, like, gay people. What a waste of a gaydar. Like, that's horrible. It was, that's, which is really... horrible. Like, Discrim- looking back at these laws now, it's like, what? But at the time, it, people thought they were a good idea. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess that's the case for many of... Many, many things. Many things, yeah. In this country. Mm. But <clears throat> this was overturned in 1966. So then LGBT Q people could be served alcohol. Oh, good. Hooray. Well, the sales probably plummeted. Uh, yeah. But you still couldn't engage in any behavior in public, like holding hands, kissing, dancing with someone of the same sex. Mm. <laughs> Not dancing in general. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So the police would still harass people and raid bars and and whatever. All that awful stuff. So that's the context of Stonewall. And then Stonewall happened, and I don't know if people realized it at the time. Maybe they did, but it was really the landmark movement for LGBTQ plus rights in the U.S. and around the world. Like It was like the domino that just... Exactly. The straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. Yes. the Some people have called... The, so the brick that they say that Marsha P. Johnson threw, which she may or may not have actually thrown, they say it's, <laughs> it's like the brick heard around the world oh, kind okay. of thing. All righty. Um, and like it's not the, the entire reason for it. There was other things, things building up. But yeah. Right. It was kind of a, it, a It was a big contributing factor for yes. sure. So two weeks after Stonewall there was a group that was created called the Gay Liberation Front. And basically, they wanted to continue this momentum. Their whole platform was, we're going to be ourselves, and if you don't like it, get out of the way. I love that motto. I love that, too. They wanted to end these discriminatory laws against LGBTQ plus people, and they had a really broad political platform too they were against racism they were supporting the black panther party 
um, which we've talked about mm-hmm. before. And I'm pretty sure they had ideas on the Vietnam War, maybe. I'm sure. Well, I don't know. They w- They were also, yeah, advocating for developing countries and they were anti-capitalist and they were against traditional gender roles you know like you know yeah they're they're very leftist right and there was another organization that was created as well out of this in 1970 several women from the gay liberation front created a lesbian activist organization called the lavender menace okay that sounds like a I don't know, like a a really cool album. Yeah. Anyway, it sounds like a punk band or something. And then there was another organization that was born out of this um, from the Gay Liberation Front, and it was called the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR for short. I'm a star. Yes. Which was created by drag queens and also um, trans activists, including Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And they focused on support for gay prisoners and housing for homeless gay youth and people on the street. And yeah, it also led to organizations, other organizations being created around the world. And so all of these groups were really active politically and publicly. They would organize demonstrations to protest, you know, a lack of civil rights and they would confront political officials disrupt public meetings like really public like yeah public activism and it it wasn't really a passive kind of movement anymore it was mm-hmm. in the open now and they were being loud and wanted to be heard and were demanding things this really helped move forward policy and legislation to benefit LGBTQ plus individuals and just really lead the way to where we are today. So the other thing is pride parades. The Gay Liberation Front planned a march on the first anniversary of Stonewall in 1970 in New York. And so they did that on June 28th. It was a Sunday in 1970. They marched from the West Village into Central Park. They called it Christopher Street Liberation Day. Can we have that instead of Christopher Columbus Day? That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Please. (laughs) So as they walked in the parade, people from the streets began joining in and the crowds really grew and it signified a new age of openness and community for LGBTQ plus people. Because now they felt safer, you know, being on the street, being out, being seen, because they were growing this movement. However, the movement wasn't very inclusive for non-white people Mm. and transgender people. It was a lot of, like, white middle class, uh, gay and lesbian, like, cisgender people. Okay. And cisgender, for those of you who don't know, is someone who identifies with the gender they were assigned at birth. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. And there's still a long way to go to make the movement more inclusive. Also, there were other pride parades as well. So the day before, on June 27th, 1970, the Chicago Gay Liberation Group had a march from Washington Square Park, which is across from the Newberry, like that tiny park, yeah, to the Water Tower up Michigan Avenue. 
And San Francisco had a march on the same day, and LA had one the next day, the same day as New York. So the original intent for these parades and these groups was to continue the Stonewall activism, but Pride has gotten a little bit less political since then. It it seems, I don't know, it seems to be more of like a... Celebration rather yeah, than a... Yeah, celebration. Protest, um, sort of. Yeah. Okay. So, I, you know, I, I don't want to say if that's a good or a bad thing. It's just changed a little bit. Right. And Pride parades now happen all over the world on... Every continent except probably Antarctica. I don't know. The penguins might be yeah. like. I don't know. Well, maybe I. I'm, I'd be curious if like the researchers on Antarctica ever do anything for them. But maybe. Maybe if they're if they are. So since Stonewall, there have been lots of hurdles, but also victories in the movement for civil rights for LGBTQ plus people. In 1979, 10 years after Stonewall, there was a national march for lesbian and gay rights, and 100,000 people participated in that, which is a lot of people. That is. But then in the 80s, I'll cover this in another episode probably, there was the AIDS epidemic, which was horrible, and over 20 years killed 460,000 people in the U.S. and massively affected the LGBTQ plus community in the U.S., In 1996, Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage as one man and one woman. Bill. Yeah. And it allowed states the ability to refuse to recognize same-sex marriages granted under the laws of other states. So, like, if you got married to someone of the same gender in, I don't know, Massachusetts, and you moved to Texas, they could be like, your marriage isn't valid in Texas. Oh, that's shitty. Yeah. In 2003, Lawrence versus Texas was a Supreme Court case where the Supreme Court said that anti-sodomy laws were unconstitutional. So before 1963, every state in the U.S. had laws against sodomy and I'm not going to go into the details of like what they define sodomy as because it was a few different things. And it also was sometimes between heterosexual couples as mm-hmm. well. But some also targeted, specifically targeted homosexual people. And in the 16 and 1700s in the U.S., there were sodomy laws like in the colonies and those were punishable by death. <gasps> so what? Yeah. If they, were, if they were like, you're having same sex sexual relationship like we can but they also like under sodomy laws back then included bestiality well okay so it it was like very strange so it i anyway the definition of of what that was was kind of bestiality or or no (laughs) of of like these anti-sodomy laws was really weird anyway so in 2003 it was decriminalized in texas yeah and that decriminalized homosexual relations nationwide. Um, I'm pretty sure Illinois was the first state to repeal sodomy laws in the 60s, which is kind of cool. I'm just, I'm just like hyping up Illinois. I had I no idea that there was such like a history of that here. As of 2019, though, 15 states had not repealed their sodomy laws, mm. even though they're not enforceable anymore because... They were already declared un- unconstitutional. 
And 12 of these state laws, so out of 15, make both heterosexual and homosexual sodomy illegal. So oh. I don't know, like, how, how do they, I, how I don't do they know, know what you're doing? Yeah, so in 2015, gay marriage became legal nationwide in the case Obergefell versus Hodges, which is, which is very exciting. And gosh, it's been like six years since then, which is exciting. Anyway, yeah, that just makes me really happy. But today, one of the main things, at least right now, targeting the LGBTQ plus community is anti-trans laws. Mm. In 2021 this year. alone, this year, oh, okay. more than 100 anti-trans bills have been introduced across the U.S. Oh, in different states. It's the highest number of anti-transgender bills in history. Wow. And a lot of these fall on trans students having to do with sports, like who can participate in what sport and what team, and also bathroom usage. So mm. like what bathrooms are they allowed to use? Many also restrict medical care for transgender youth, and they perpetuate false assumptions on what it means to transition. Okay. Like... A lot of the people supporting these laws are like, it's like experimentation on our children. Like, blah, 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 blah. But no, that's not how that works. Like, Google it. Google Educate it. yourself, please. Um, and in some states, actually, these laws would allow the state to override the opinions of medical providers. So if your doctor said, yes, we're going to like treat this person this way, the state can say no. Are you kidding me? No. Elizabeth. Are you kidding me? Be- oh, because, okay. like, medical, like, I I don't remember the, the you know, American Association of, I don't know what doctors are. <laughs> there, there's, I haven't looked this up, but there's, like, a consensus among at least th- some of the most official medical organizations in the U.S. that, like, providing this essential medical care to transgender individuals is a good thing and, like, beneficial but some some politicians it's mostly right-wing extremists sure. who want to score political points because uh, like right not a lot of like constituents at least were like arguing for these things or like yeah we should introduce a bill for this or this it's more like what issues can we raise to like get people fired up and like get them to vote for me gay people it's especially frustrating because transgender people already face so much especially when it comes to like murder the murder really yeah in 2021 so far there have already been 29 transgender or gender non-conforming people fatally shot or killed oh my god but there may have been some that also aren't reported and most of them are transgender women of color yeah, trans people experience violence at much higher rates than the average person in the U.S. 54% of trans people have experienced some form of intimate partner violence. 47% have been sexually assaulted. And 1 in 10 have been physically assaulted. That's horrible. In 2020, there was a record number of violent fatal incidents against transgender and gender non-conforming people so in 2020 there was a total of 44 murders oh my god and also transgender people have higher suicide rates than 
the average person, well, LGBTQ plus people in general, 48% have engaged in self-harm. And for trans and non-binary youth, that's 60%. And 40% of the people surveyed for this study reported um, having seriously considered attempting suicide. Oh, no. And of trans and non-binary youth, more than 50% said they strongly considered suicide. And they're three times more likely to attempt suicide than cisgender youth. Yeah. Trans people live in poverty at much higher rates, especially trans people of color. 29% of trans adults live in poverty. For black trans adults, that's 39%. And for uh, Latinx trans adults, it's 48%. So that's almost half. And for indigenous trans adults, it's 35%. Wow. So then I don't say these to like be a downer but just to put it in perspective and show that the government or people in this country are not coming together to protect transgender people and that's kind of the most urgent thing that's happening in the lgbtq plus community because so this is a this is a rallying cry people like write to your senators and especially if you live in a state where they're introducing these bills to try to harm trans youth, especially because mm. it's it's really bad. It's bad. It's, it's bad, bad news. It's bad. It's news. awful. The fight is not over. No, um, it's just beginning. And also, like I mentioned before, there's always m- efforts to try to make the community more inclusive. I remember we went to a protest last year, the Drag March for Change in yes, Chicago. We did. And it was led by um, black drag queens who were frustrated with racism that they've experienced and also um, black trans women in the in Chicago's traditionally gay neighborhood. So yeah. be be vigilant and be an ally. Be educate an yourself. Ally, educate yourself. Welcome you know, make an effort to welcome everyone into this community. That's <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'll include some links to some great organizations in Chicago. There's one called the Brave Space Alliance. That which, one's a great one. Yeah, which caters to mostly um, black trans people on the south side of Chicago. And then also the Trevor Project. And if you feel alone or you know you've you've ever considered you know taking your life or hurting yourself because you feel like you're different and you don't belong you're beautiful and we love you and you matter you matter and it will get better it will one documentary that i watched it's on youtube it's really good it's called stonewall forever and it's produced by new york city's lgbt um, community center so it's only like 20 minutes long and it's really good Check it out. Yeah. I didn't learn that in school. <laughs> no, def- certainly not. So, yeah. And the suicide prevention hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you. We got to shake up the education. We got to shake up the prison system. We got to shake. Mm. We got to do a lot of things. Let's go to Norway. I know, right? Lord. 
Yeah. No. Thank you. Why can't we all just... Ugh, I, I have no words. There's a lot. <laughs> Why can't we just be nice to... Like... Right. Nice to people. Like... Just let and the world is so much more, like, colorful and diverse and and everything than, like, an outside of people's, like, rigid ideas of what society has to look like. These Eurocentric, heteronormative, patriarchal mm-hmm. norms right. are don't have to be... That's so out, okay? Yeah, they <laughs> like, don't have to be the standard, okay? No. Okay. Who, who lets anyone decide what our standard i don't know we're we're very passionate about these things so it's just (laughs) can you tell please educate yourself like just be nice you don't have to like if you don't want to be trans don't be trans but like love your neighbor like i don't know what else to tell you just be a good person okay yeah thank you and thank you all for listening to episode 38 hope you learned something i certainly did me too wow We would love to thank the artists that have helped us. Our music is composed by Colin Whitlish, and music production is by Justin Toom. And our cover art is by Erica Chase. I'm Margot. And I'm Elizabeth. Tune in next week. We got another true crime for you. Yes. And please follow us on social media. If you haven't already, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com to suggest a future topic or submit your own listener report. We would love to hear from you. We would very much love it. And if you feel so inclined, tell your friends. Feel free to like, share, subscribe. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts if if you want. You don't have to. Happy birthday to Elizabeth. I love you and Aww. glad you are here in this world. And um, Thank you. I'm happy to be here for another year. <laughs> another trip <laughs> well, hopefully around more than well, that. Yeah, but yeah, you know, no, we gotta chase each other in our little scooters at the retirement home. Like that's yes. our, that's our plan when we're in our nineties. All right, stay sleepy and spooky, and we'll catch you. We'll catch you later. I, I didn't finish that. <laughs> we'll catch you. <ya. laughs> gotta catch them all. <laughs> Good night. Good night.